Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. Today we are wrapping up um, our Thought Bubble series. And in this, we have been looking at this idea that every thought bubble you've ever seen in your life has had an author. There was somebody who decided what was going to be inside that thought bubble. It was written. It was, it was chosen. And again, we've talked about the fact that a lot of times it can feel like our thoughts happen to us, that, that it's just, yes, we can think about things on purpose, but there's just this random place where just our thoughts begin to just happen to us. And, and the scriptures tell us we need to be more intentional about our thought life. So if you've got your, you've got your Bible app, you, you've got your bulletin, however it is you're going to track with us, then we've led off with this idea every week that our choices matter and how we think and what we think about guide our decision process. We've looked at Philippians chapter 4 uh, verse 8, but today we're going to go ahead and add one more verse. We're going to go into verse 9. So let's go ahead and read this one more time. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This should be the nature of the thoughts we're thinking on purpose. Things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy, things that are worth talking about and celebrating. Anybody can find something to, to nitpick and to gripe about. Anybody can do that. But we're to be people who are to look for good. Why? Because God is bringing light into darkness. It's easy to talk about how dark things are. We could, we could just stand up here and I could rant and, and just talk about the darkness all over the place. But guess what? We're to be people of light. Pastor Brian did a great job last week of talking about that Jesus being the light of the world and we in him being called to be salt and light. So we, we need to be thinking about things intentionally. What's happening on the inside is absolutely vital. Why? Because we've talked about it every week. It guides our decision-making process. But Paul keeps writing. He says, one more whatever. And remember, these whatevers are opening up these big fields. It means just if anything fits in this category, grab it, run with it. And he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or even seen in me, put into practice. Put into practice. Now, all of these whatevers we've been thinking about, these thoughts that have been rolling around in our minds and our hearts, now it's time for those things to come out and begin to make a difference in the way we're actually engaging with life. We need to put these things into practice. He said, and the God of peace will be with you. 
If we want to daily experience the God of peace, one of the ways to do that is to be mindful of our thoughts and then begin to put those thoughts into practice, begin to put those things into our daily lives. And you notice we start with what's happening on the inside because nothing can be legitimate on the outside unless it originates on the inside, okay? Don't want to, you know, call out anybody in this space, but it's, it's rodeo time, right? It's rodeo time. And uh, during these weeks, there's some people who go to the back of their closet, grab their boots, dust them off, get them a little shined up, go to the back of the closet, find those those jeans that go with that, get the cinch shirt, get it starched so it stands up by itself, get your belt buckle, get you a hat, and go to the rodeo, and then when the rodeo is over, put that stuff back in the closet and bring it out next year. And there are those, and there's nothing wrong with it. Hey, man, it's appropriate. I get it. But then there's other people at the rodeo that you can tell that hat has seen some sunshine. That hat has seen some rain. That hat has got the sweat stains all around it. It's not a rodeo hat. It's an everyday working hat. That, that all of a sudden you see that something originated from the outside and it lets you know that what's on the outside is genuine. It's genuine. Those sweatbands on those hats show that that cowboy is genuine. Now, again, I don't have no problems you having your rodeo gear and wearing that. But it's just that thing that if it's going to take place, it's going to be real on the outside. It has to come up from the inside. That's why Paul starts with the inside first. Let's get our thoughts rolling in the right direction. Now, Cutie and I, that's what I call my wife. Um, we have seven kids. Yes, we're crazy. And so we have seven kids. And so, and our youngest one, uh, Pressy, is nine now. And when she was in her first couple of months of life, um, she began to just kind of break the mold of Clark babies. Clark babies are chunky babies, you know. You got the little screw-on hands that looks like there's a clear, a clear line joint between their wrist and their hand. It just, you got to pride open and like clean in there and so I mean just chunky chunky babies and then Pressy um she was not chunking up and so and she would go and do the doctor's appointments and it's finally it's like you know we've got a Clark baby that's underweight and then we got to a Clark baby that was way too underweight you know like we're trying everything you know cutie was a great mom experienced mom and we we're like, man, something's going on here. So finally, we end up having to have some tests run on Preston. We're in new territory. We've never had to deal with this ever. And so finally, they said, we can't figure out what's going on. We need to do this swallow test, which was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. And so I had to, I had to hold Pressy, And as she was eating, and they put us in this 
this live x-ray thing, and we see on the inside of her, and her have the little bottle in her mouth and see and watch if the little uh, milk would go down and all of those different things and see if she was what was going on she was just swallowing right or not because something was not right on the inside and it was being evidenced on the lack of gain on the outside so what we began to see is they're watching all of the swallow stuff and everything looks fine and then they pay attention to her mouth and that little turkey would put that bottle in her mouth. And this had the little stuff that make it so it was extra nasty, and the little stuff to show up in the x-ray. And, and she had put that bottle in her mouth, bent it over her gum, stuck her tongue against it, and pinched it off like a water hose. But on the outside, it was just, well, like it looked like she was just drinking, like she was just going to town, like all was good, but she was stopped the info. And until we were able to see what was messed up on the inside we couldn't fix anything she could swallow just fine she just didn't like what she was being handed yeah all right finally i'm drinking it folks i'm drinking it all right, that little sassy girl has been sassy since day one and we realized she looked like she was taking it in but she wasn't taking it she was going through the motions and folks that is the risk you and i have of just our life in Christ. There are times that it can look like everything is just fine on the outside. Oh yeah, no, they're, they're drinking it in, they're taking it in, they're in the right space, doing all the right stuff, having a quiet time, doing all those different things. But if we decide I don't like what I'm being fed on the inside, we will turn the valve off. And it looks like we're totally taking it in. But if your heart says, I don't want that, we shut the, the spiritual nutrition off. And it will eventually show up in a lack of growth on the outside. That is why today is the practical part of this thing. Not that your thought life isn't practical, but at some point, all this has got to begin to show up on the outside. And as we look at this, we see that trusting God means being willing to do things his way. Trust puts into practice the things God teaches us. All of these thoughts that we've been having, these things that are excellent and praiseworthy and noble and, and, and true and, and all of these different things, if we don't begin to put this truth into practice, what good does the truth do for us? It doesn't do any good if we never transition into putting into practice, but we can't put into practice something we've not first thought about. So that's why it originates in this place of guarding our minds, guarding our hearts, being able to shift gears and put things into practice. In fact, Jesus gives us a lengthy teaching on this very thing. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because... It had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, notice both groups hear the words. 
Is that people who don't care about God? Or is that people who are close enough to hear his voice? It's talking to you and me. This isn't talking to people out there who are clueless about God, who have no idea what he has said on any subject. And we're sitting there going, oh, yeah, no, you, you've, you've built your house on the sand. Of course your life's a wreck. No, they haven't heard. They're just getting the consequences of going their own way and not even caring if there is a God in the universe at all. They're pretty fine with just being their own God, and they're liking it and getting the consequences of it. But what this is talking about is people who've heard God's word. It is you and I. So it's, it's but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I really wish that the way this read is if you've heard these words of mine and put them in the practice, it is sunshine and light breezes all the days of your life. Gentle rains in the middle of the night that never mess up your picnic plans. Always water your grass. You never have to use the irrigation system and pay San Angelo ridiculous water rates. Never have to do that. Uh, everything just goes right. Just Everything is just nice and smooth and it's never, ever stormy. But remember Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the storms are going to come. The whole point of listening to him isn't the fact that we've now built a storm avoidant system. No, the storms are coming. We've now built a place where we can rest in the middle of the storm. Yeah. Guess what? When your house is built on the rock, you can sleep through the storm. Amen. You can just chill. Jesus showed us what it looked like in the middle of, of a boat. That He sat there and chilled in the boat in the middle of the storm. It can actually be on the waves and still be at peace. But you and I, we are called to live our lives built on the rock. And the difference isn't a storm or lack of storm. The difference isn't hearing God's words or not hearing his words. Both heard the words. Both had the storm. One put it into practice. And one didn't. We're called to put it into practice. What Then what does our thinking matter? Our thinking matters is because all of a sudden now we're excited to put it into practice. Because you know what's easier about building your house on the sand? Man, who doesn't want a beachfront property? Looks good. Man, those little Instagram pics every morning, you got your feet sticking off your porch and they're in the sand already. Ooh, sunrise. And on a beautiful day, no storm day, beach is fine. You can actually leave and go down and have a picnic on the beach. Come off your house on the rock and be able to enjoy the beach. But man, when the storms come, you are thankful you did the hard work of grabbing that lumber and hiking up to the solid ground. You are thankful that you were at that place instead of down where it was easier, it was prettier, it felt more comfortable, 
and our thought process, processes and our, what we're putting our thoughts on make it to where we enjoy the fact because we know we're being wise. This is true. What's true? Building your house on the rock is going to make storms survivable. That is true. So I'm going to build my house on the rock. Even though it's harder to hike everything up and build things on the rock. It's amazing that we're sitting here talking about this on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, of course, is the triumphal entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the people begin to recognize him as the the Messiah, the King. All of a sudden, people begin to cut down branches and lay them down on the ground. They take their their jackets off. And guess what? This was super significant because they didn't have a big wardrobe like you and I. If you were able to pick between more than four different things to wear today, you were super, super wealthy compared to everybody back then. And they took their, their cloaks and they began to lay them down so that Jesus coming in, not with his nice little sandaled feet, but riding on an animal. Who, guess what? The animal's going to do what an animal do, which is do. <laughs> if you've been out to the rodeo parade, you saw that there was a cleaning crew that came up in the, by, in the back because they messed up the road. And so all these people are laying these things down knowing that this donkey, this, this, this colt, the foal of a donkey, may decide to just be a donkey right on top of their clothing. But this is the king. I don't care. I don't care about those things. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care about the lust. This is the king. And I'm going to lay this down in just a few short days later when now it comes crunch time. Not only are the crowds gone, but we finally get to the night of the the time of Jesus' crucifixion, the night when he's arrested. The guys that walked on those cloaks with Jesus, his disciples, they fled as well. What's the challenge? It is easy to celebrate when everybody is celebrating. It is easy to cut a branch and to be a part of it and say, Jesus, you're king. Jesus, you're Lord. It's a totally different thing when the storm hits and to still call him king. So how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? How are we going to make sure that our Palm Sunday where we say we embrace Jesus, that we embrace Messiah, how are we going to do that even on the storm times? We put his words into practice. We make a habit of doing that. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, remind us of this. It says, my my thoughts, they're not your thoughts. God thinks differently than you. And you have the benefit of his thinking. You don't have to be the smartest person. You just have to decide, I'm going to defer to the smartest person. You have the Holy Spirit. Because all of a sudden, if he decides that he has a different idea than you, that ought to make you excited. It ought to make you pumped. But you probably do what I do. You probably get a little dejected that that your idea got pushed to the side. Most of our prayers are, Lord, bless what I've already decided to do. Not, Lord, what have you called me to do? Well, if he's king, you say, king, what can I do? 
If he's a magic genie, you say, hey, I'm doing this, bless it. We have to embrace him as king. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We begin to embrace his better ways and put them into practice. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, for we live by faith and not by sight. Can we shift gears right quick and go into a little bit of a Bible study? I, 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 let's look at something. I want to look at this in 2 Corinthians, the 2 Corinthians 5, 7 in a different translation, in the New King James translation, okay? It says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, walking and living, those, those, are, those are two different, two different words. Well, they both come from the translators are doing the best they can. And both are legitimate translations. But let's go back to the Greek and let's see what the Greek has to say. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I have to rely on, on other people who are and, and, and uh, um, definitions and those types of things. But as we look at this Greek word, it is this Greek word peripateo. Peripateo. And it is a compound word. And it simply means this, to tread all around. That is to walk at large, just to go around and begin to move around. When I began to look at this space, this, this tread all around it, it began to just, and see this definition, it began to stir some stuff in me. Now, in a figurative sense, this peripateo means to live. So that we get it, that everywhere you go, well, that's life. You're, you're going places. You're going to bed. You're, you're going to, to work. You're, you're going to church. It's, yeah, all of your walking around, yeah, that, that's your life. So it's, it's a legitimate translation that, that we, we live by faith and not by sight. But the Greek word meant that we tread all around by faith and not by sight. The tread is a word we don't use a whole lot. As Americans and as Texans, we're thankful for this being a part of American heritage as so we came in as a free nation. Like we can identify with a free nation that said had this. And we remember the, the, the flag that was utilized, the Gadsden flag that is yellow and has the snake on it that says, don't tread on me. And this warning to the British that says, don't come in here acting like this is your place. Don't tread on me. That mindset, we now begin to go, okay, I get this idea of tread a little bit, even just out of this historical thing. But we can actually go back into the scriptures. And let's look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, where this is Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. This is like Joshua, the very beginning of his taking over from Moses. And this was one of the very first things that God reminds him. He starts out with, Moses, my servant, is dead. The old way of doing things is gone. And now I'm bringing you into something new. But there is a promise I had given that is still applicable and he says, and God reminds, reminds Joshua, he says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you as I have said 
to Moses. They're about to go into the promised land that is occupied land. And he wants them to have this mindset that everywhere your foot goes, everywhere you tread, I'm giving that to you. That now belongs to you. By putting your foot on it, you're owning it. By going around and treading on it, you're owning it. Well, all of a sudden, now we look at 2 Corinthians 5, 7, written by a Jewish man, a Hebrew scholar of the Torah, and all of a sudden, he picks out a Greek word that says that we tread all around by faith and not by sight, that maybe as this idea has supposed to be a little more oomph to it, that as we go around in life, we ought to be treading around and taking it by faith and not by sight, that we ought to be stepping in to the kingdom, expanding the kingdom, and treading around by faith and not by sight. Why? Because sight will tell you, hey, Christian, you don't belong here. Hey, Christian, hush your mouth in this space. Hey, Christian, this isn't yours anymore. America is post-Christian. says, nope, I'm still here. You're still here. It's still very Christian. We're carrying it out. We're carrying the gospel everywhere we tread around by faith. We can begin to grab a hold of that. And then there's another space where tread shows up. Very popular psalm. 91. He says, and you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample under foot. We all obviously recognize the fact of the serpent being the enemy. We get that. We understand that. But let's look at 1 Peter 5, 8. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So here we are, both of these things are to tread upon the enemy. That if we're going to live in a place of victory, we have to do it by faith. If we're going to tread on the one that's roaming around looking for someone to devour, we've got to do it by faith. Our faith says, not me, devil. Not me. I'm walking around. I am owned. I'm going to tread around by faith. It changes the way we engage with it. It changes the way we look at it. Years ago, when again, this must be Tell Pressy Story Day, that when uh, we went on a cruise, a family cruise, and Mike and Lisa, uh, the Hernandez, were with us, and uh, Pressy was not quite two years old, okay? But she was walking around, and Mike made the, com- the comments that I uh, said, man, this, this little girl's going to grow up and give uh, oh, uh, Ronda Rousey a run for her money. Now, sadly, she's already had her run for her money. And so, but back then, she was, she was on top of the UFC because Prezi walked around that boat like she was treading off, like it was hers. That little one-year-old, she just, she just walked around. Why? Because she was followed by a bunch of adults who were, just had her back. And she just strutted all around that boat She's sitting there, she needed ice cream. She knew she could look up and somebody's gonna pick her up and elevate her to the ice cream. Be able, if she wasn't, if she wasn't in her own stature able to take in the goodness, somebody was gonna come along and lift her up so she could take in of the goodness. That she just it went everywhere. And when I began to study this, I just saw that idea of a little child understanding my daddy's got my back. I'm a part of a bigger family and I can walk around this space I've never been in in my life and I can tread all around by 
faith. It changes everything. Let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 8, verse 19. It says, now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That is what makes the difference. And so I want to just real quick, because I'm wrapping up, I promise you. I know you see a bunch of scriptures there. We're going to go. It says, it says to put it into practice, not put it into perfection. God has called us to simply put it into practice. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he, said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, I am good with it. Because why? Because his strength is going to come in and fill the gap. See, putting into practice requires trusting in God and leaving the results to him. Putting into perfection requires trust in self and making your own results. Let's real quick look at Hebrews chapter 7. It says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, that's the Old Testament, the old way of doing things, and indeed the law given it to the people established that priesthood, then why was there still need for another priest, Jesus, to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of of Aaron, verse 17, for it declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. Folks, this is the Bible saying that the old covenant trying to live under the law is weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. Perfection doesn't come from that. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. That is Jesus. Look at this, folks. This will change your world. Verse 14 of chapter 10. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. He is made perfect forever. What we are going to be celebrating on Easter Sunday, the one sacrifice he's made perfect forever. You've already been made perfect. Those who are being made holy. We're already perfect, but there's a purification process to get us to this place of holiness. Why do we sometimes the outside not match the inside? Because we're still in process. But the fact that we've already been made perfect, that's what gives us the boldness to be able to put this into practice. See, everybody else says that, it, that practice makes perfect. But here's the beauty of life in Christ. Being made perfect lets us practice. Because it doesn't, our execution of it isn't what's going to make us perfect. Jesus made us perfect, which now allows us to try to be more kind, to try to be more loving, to begin to walk in the goodness and the grace that he has given us in moment by moment, choice by choice, day by day, glory to glory, see our lives transformed because we've already been made perfect and he is making us holy. Our bottom line this morning is this, put into practice 
what Jesus made perfect. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.